question for you. So most Sundays when we're in a series, we have like the little intro video in between. And with this being an in-between week where we're launching a new series next week, I- I'm just coming up right after the worship band. I get so nervous. I get like, like, is this the right part? Is this where I come up? Because what's happened is multiple times when we've done that in the past, they're in the middle of the song and I'm like, oh, this is the end. And then I walk out and then they start a new chorus right? And then I'm part of the band. Like, I have to grab a mic and sing, and, and that's when we shrink our church. So, uh, thank you. Thank you for my confession. Just wanted to start off, uh, start off the new year, you know, in, in a good spot. How many of you guys grew up, uh, grew up in the 90s or around uh, during the 90s? Yes. The 90s were the, they were amazing. Am I right? Like, just so many incredible things. Like, you would show up to school, and, you know, you get your lunchbox out, and you know your mama loved you when she put Dunkaroos. And you remember that? I, I hear they're, like, making a comeback, but like it was just like this incredible incredible experience you always want, wanted the dunkaroos and then you would ask your parents like hey can i get a dog or a cat and they would say no but they would get you what they would get you a nano pet you remember this yes this is pre cell phone you would just have this little, you know, the rich kids have Tamagotchis, I had the Nano Pet, but, uh, you know, the off-brand or whatever, and you would literally, it would just like poop and eat, and you just like loved it, you named it, and, you know, that's, that's what you spent your time doing. And then you would walk into class, and this was the best feeling when you'd walk into class and you'd see this, um, because it meant, it meant teacher had a, heart, a rough weekend and was not prepared, and so you're watching a video, you're like, and so you just feed your Nano Pet uh, during class the whole time. I, or uh, early 90s, uh, we would go to computer class and play the greatest game ever created, uh, Oregon Trail. And we're, oh yeah, we're feeling nostalgic, oh yeah, I like this, I like this little charismatic for Oregon Trail. See, I grew up in California, and so playing Oregon Trail Oregon, tra- Oregon was this exotic land that I wanted to go visit one day. You guys are mad at all the Californians that have migrated to Oregon. It's because of Oregon Trail, you know. <laughs> it's all the people that didn't die of dysentery. So they, they we, we, you know, we, we made it, and then here we are. And if you're having a good weekend, your parents would take you to Blockbuster, right? The best place ever. And you go and you get your video and you take it home, and uh, you know, you'd pop it in your uh, you, for Christmas. You got a, a VHS re- rewinder, and you'd let it rewind for 30 minutes because the person who rented before you was not kind and they did not rewind, right? And so you got you to gotta deal with that. And, and so, but it was, it was just so nostalgic, you know, uh, th- these kids these days and their Netflix. Like, no, Blockbuster was where it's at. But then the greatest day of the week was Friday because Friday was T-G-I-F. Oh my gosh. And it was the best, am I right? Like Family Matters? Like, yeah, you... Isn't this nostalgic? Isn't this incredible? Oh, you some of you guys are like staring at like, what show is that? That's Urkel, Jaleel White, like the greatest show ever made. The 90s were incredible. That's why they're making a comeback, right? You look, Mom jeans, yep, that's 90s. Like it started then. Like every, it, it's coming around. And what's incredible is like these decades can become known for things things or certain years of your life you can become uh, you have these memories or things you build upon and here's what my hope is for you as we are here January 2nd we're getting ready uh, to enter this new year I want this to be an incredible year for you I want this to be a year that you look back on and you're like man there was a movement took place that year this is what this year was known for I want you to make this year matter And so that's what we're going to be talking about here on Vision Sunday. We're going to be looking at three life-shaping decisions that you can make coming from Scripture 
to make this year matter like no other. So if you have a Bible, I want you to turn to Hebrews chapter 12. We're just going to be in verses 1 and 2 today. Um, if you don't have a Bible, we have Bibles on the tables around the chairs, or you can follow along on the screen. But, but we're going to read the author's letter here to the Hebrews, and this is what they say. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning at shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. God, as we enter this new year with all kinds of excitement, all kinds of goals, all kinds of things in our minds, would this be a passage that would shape this year for us? Would would this mark the beginning of us throwing off some things that are holding us back? Would this mark the beginning of us getting clarity around the race that you have marked out before us? And more than anything, Lord, would this be a year where we draw closer to your son, Jesus, as we fix our eyes on him and take steps toward him? Thank you for this passage, would you move it in our hearts today? In Jesus' name, amen. So, so, so what are three life-shaping decisions that you can make? Here's the first one. Throw off the weight, okay? In the NIV, it says throw off everything that hinders. ESV translates it as lay aside every weight, but he, the idea is the same. There are things in your life that are holding you back from running the race that God has for you. They're holding you back. And I want you to note the author's tone here. It is not one of condemnation. It is not one of shame. And so we're going to talk about sin, and we're going to talk about some hardship, and we're going to talk about addiction, and we're going to move through some of those things. But I need it to be understood in the context. This is not to bring about shame or condemnation, for Jesus has paid for those things. But it's that we would be set free from these things. That we would say, no, we're done with that. That's not who we are anymore. That's the... That's the author's tone here, okay? And the word he uses for easily ensnares or easily entangles, uh, there's a few ways that it can be translated. So sin that is easily ensnared, it could also be sin that is easily avoided, sin sin that is admired, or sin that is ensnaring, or sin that is dangerous. Now, and the reason it could be translated all these different ways is this word in the Greek, it only appears once in the New Testament. And so when our English translations go through, we have amazing translations. Um, but when you go through, you have to make these certain decisions. Okay, that word has all this depth of meaning in the original, in, in the Greek, but what is it, how do we convey it? So here's what I just want us to understand. There is sin that, easy, that, that is easily avoidable. And what he's saying is, be done with it. Like, stop, stop lowering yourself to that. Like, stop just making excuses and just be done. There's also sin or things that hinder us in our life. And, and what they are is they're, they're admired, as in precious to us. Think of Gollum and his ring. It's this, it's this thing that we're like, no, no, no. Like, I will give up anything for Jesus, but, but not that. That's, that's, I admire it. It's, it's precious to me. I want to hold on to it. And here's the problem with either of those in any sin. All of it, if it is not dealt with and if it is not addressed, it becomes ensnaring. It traps us. It takes us further than we want to go. It costs us more than we're willing to pay. 
and it makes us stay longer than we're willing to stay. It's entrapping, and it is more dangerous than we ever thought it would be. Okay, think of it like this. So a few years ago, I was reading an article about a man, um, and, and uh, he was in the Czech Republic, and uh, he had a pet, and that pet was a lion. Now, um, he raised it, and he groomed it, and he fed it, and he named it, and this was his lion. Now, tragically, uh, we all should know how this story ends. This man died. Um, he was mauled to death by this lion. Because a lion is not a pet. A lion is the king of the jungle, right? There's no, like, no Akuna Matatas in those moments with those lions, right? Like, th- this is tragic, but it's foolish. Am I right? Like, we, we, we take these things that are dangerous and we think, oh, no, I can tame it. This is what we do with sin. Sin is not a pet to be tamed. We cannot say, you know what, I'm just going to have it under control. I'm not going to worry about it. No, it is a danger that needs to be avoided or dealt with. Or it'll fester. It'll grow. It'll ensnare. It'll take us further. And so we do this. We have these things in our life, these areas, that we treat sin like it's a pet that we can tame and control. Let me give you a few examples, right? We say, well, it's not really gossip, right? I just, I need to share what's going on with, with these people. Or I need to share this as a prayer request because, because I'm concerned. And so it's not really that big of a deal. But I, I wonder how many in this room are meant to be people of deep influence and impact. But the way you talk about people holds you back from that. Because people no longer trust you. Because if you're going to talk that way about her, you're going to talk that way about them. And so we have these things, like it's not really that big of a deal, and we make excuses, but it's growing. And the point that the author is making here is it keeps us from running our race. And we, so we make excuses, well, look, it's not really pornography. It's just, a, it's just an Instagram I, account I follow, and I'm just kind of, I dabble in it a little bit. It's not that, that big of a deal. But I wonder how many men are being held back from living a life of boldness and courage and leadership because you're feeling guilty over this small secret sin that you're treating as a pet rather than being done with it, rather than being rid of it. We make excuses like, I know I need to stop being harsh with my kids, but they need discipline most when I'm most angry, and so that's when it comes out, and and so they experience that. And, And I wonder... How many relationships, how many families would have a different um, level of impact and safety and health if you said, no, this is actually a problem. I, I have some wounds in my past that constantly are coming up. And, and the way that my father, the way that my mother treated me and spoke to me, now I'm speaking, I'm, I'm regurgitating that same sin in the next generation. And we're treating it as a pet, as that's not that big of a deal. I know I have bitterness and unforgiveness in my heart, but they haven't apologized yet. See, you guys, we have to deal with these things. John Stott said, be killing sin, or sin will be killing you. And and the author here wants you to be free of that, because Jesus has paid the price of it. And so it no longer has control over you, unless you are letting it. Now, what's interesting here is he talks about this idea of sin that entangles, but not all things that are holding you back are sin. It says, throw off everything that hinders and sin that entangles. So what he's saying is there's things in your life that are hindering you and holding you back that you justify because it's not sin. But it's still 
holding you back. Like, like think about this. We, we complain about how, man, my life just isn't fulfilling and it's not the way I want it to be, yet we spend seven hours a day on social media comparing our everyday life to everybody else's highlights and we wonder why we're not happy. We spend all day eating garbage and drinking liquid sugar and we wonder why we don't have the energy to live a life of purpose. Am I right? That one zinged a little too hard, sorry. <laughs> it's only the second. Okay, you're doing good so far, right? We come home from work and then rather investing in time in our family or our dreams or our calling, what do we do? We live, a fa- we live in a fantasy world of video games and Netflix. More invested in these, these things that are not real. This is why, like, to be honest, like, and I, and I don't want to get all, like, old crotchety, man, but, like, this is why things like the metaverse, like, terrify me. Because we're literally just like, nope, I can go build a life that I want. And here's what I need you to understand. All of, like, like why do video games appeal to men? Because you, you, become, you can become a conqueror, and you can do battle, and you go to war. Things that God made you for, but in real life, not in Mario Kart, okay? <laughs> right? But, like, why are you so drawn into these, the, these characters and these, you know, and these shows? Because you are meant to have that affection for your family and for your children and for your in-laws. Like, people that you are real, that you actually pour into. And so we spend our entire lives living these alternate realities. And we look around and we're like, but, but no, that's okay. Look, none of these things are sin. None of that food, none of, the, none of those shows, social media is not a sin, even your phone. How much of us, how often do we spend on our phone because it's a dopamine hit every time we get a notification or a buzz or feel that ding and it's like, oh, you know why God created dopamine? So that you could be compelled to live a life of meaning and adventure and we, we, we sell it for a cheap substitute made by Steve Jobs. Right? We are selling ourselves short. None of those things are sin, but they're hindering you. And if they're hindering you, put them to death. Like, be, be, let this year be the year that you're done with it. Th- think of it like this, okay? So, um, we, you know, we walk around and we find these things and, and, and we, we, we come across something and we're like, I kind of like this. And we pick it up. And this could be anything. This could be a small, like, small inkling seedling of an addiction, this could be a, a sin that we're, we can easily justify. Like, oh, it's not, you know, it's not one of those category seven sins. It's kind of, you know, category one or two. It's not that big of a deal, right? Or, or maybe it's even a lie. It's just a lie that you've started to believe. You're not good enough. You're, you're flawed in how God made you. If you were just like her or if you were just like him, and you, you just kind of hold on to it. And, and, you know, if you're honest, like, you've, you've learned to function pretty well with it. You can kind of just, like, other people don't see it. You can just put it in your pocket. Like, they're, they're, they're not aware of it. It's none of their business anyway. And when you're alone and no one's there, you kind of pull it out and look at it. But here's the thing. With, with sin, with, with addiction, with bitterness, these things that we hold on to, uh, in time, what, what happens is they grow. And so now, like, it, you look down and all of a sudden you're like, man, that's, that's probably a little bit bigger than I expected it to be. But I can, like, I can still, man, like, I can have conversations and people don't need to know about it. Like, I can kind of, you know, hold back. Like, you know, they, they don't have to be aware. I can function pretty good. Like, you know, I've learned to, you know, this is where terms like functioning, you know, functioning alcoholic or things like that come into play because you learn to function through everyday life while still having this addiction or this secret or this bitterness or whatever. 
And, and you know, here's the problem is, is at this point, this is when you, you're, you're not running as much, am I right? You're not living, you're running, you're not running the race marked out for you as much. Because like, you can still run, but it kind of slows you down. And it's become this thing that's a little bit, anno- you know, a little bit frustrating and annoying. And because you're not living with purpose and meaning, that this secret that you're not willing to get rid of, to expose of, to deal with, it grows and it grows and it grows. And eventually you find yourself walking around and you're like, this is way bigger than I thought it would be, right? This is way more than I ever wanted to deal with. And like, you try to hide it, but people are like, bro. Like, everybody knows, right? And like, no, they don't. Like, they, they don't totally know. And, and at this point, your life becomes more about maintaining this or dealing with this or hiding this than it does walking with significance and meaning and purpose. This is what the author of Hebrews is saying. Lay aside everything that hinders the sin that so easily entangles. Why? So that you can live life how it was meant to be lived. You can run the race that is marked out before you. And how do we do this? We do it by bringing these things to Jesus. We do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize or sympathize with our weakness because he was tempted in every way. He knows what it is to carry a burden and a weight. Because it was on that cross that he took all of our weight and he bore it and he put it to death. This is why John can write, my little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. Which is a little bit ironic because a chapter earlier he says, if anybody says he's without sin, he's a liar. So I'm saying this so you won't sin. But if anyone does sin, a.k.a everybody, we have an advocate with the Father, somebody who stands on our behalf, and that person is Jesus Christ, the righteous one, the perfect one, the holy one. He is the propitiation for our sins. He's the payment, and not for our, ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Be done with it this year. Like, put it, put it away. Like, imagine if this was the year that you were finally done with that. One of my favorite pictures in the history of our church um, is this picture of, of Ben Ober. Uh, this is at our four-year anniversary, and, and Ben was getting baptized, and I love it. This is like the hero image, the head image um, of our website for years. Um, and I love it because it, it says, like, hey, this is a place you can belong. So many people who are not part of a church, one of the questions they have when they come in, they're like, hey, it, can, like, can I dress this way? I have tattoos. Am I going to be like, you know, publicly ridiculed and shamed? Like, what, what does it look like? And like, just having somebody uh, who, you know, represents in this kind of way getting baptized on the front, it just says like, no, you belong here. This is a place. It's beautiful. I love seeing Dave's, the joy on Dave's face as he's baptizing Ben. I love that Nolan is finally put in his place in the back and thought about it, ignored, <laughs> you know? It's, it's every layer of it is just beautiful, right? Like I, like, I love Ben, and last year was an incredible year for him. You know why? Because December 25th, 2021 marked one year of sobriety for Ben. 2021 was a year of sobriety for him as he led his wife and his four beautiful children. What if this year 
was a year you could look back on and be like, no, nah, I, w- I was finally done with that. I finally made war. I finally confessed. I finally gave it up. I finally forgave. I finally let go. The author here of Hebrews is saying, lay aside the weight. Lay aside what's hindering you. And run with perseverance the race marked out for you. Here's the second thing. Is this year would be marked by clarity and progress in your purpose. It says, run with perseverance the race marked out for us. What that means is God has a purpose for you. And it's unique. Like, imagine if you got clarity around your calling this year. Like, no, 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 this is how I'm wired. This is what I'm gifted for. Mark Twain says, the two most important days of your life are the day you were born and the day you find out why. Man, we could find out why, understand our purpose. And so here's what we're going to do as a church over the next eight weeks, starting next week. We're going to go through a series called Wired, and we're going to look at how God made us. And we're going to look at um, this idea of, of what we are created for. And so um, here's kind of the flow, and I'm just going to give you the, the, out, the outline of the series because I think it's helpful. God created you on purpose for a purpose, and you are empowered for a specific focus in a particular place through a unique story among certain people. And I know that that's a run-on sentence, but I watched too many videos in high school. It was the 90s, right? But, but here's what I want you to see. Like, no, there's so much more to life. I want to look at how the Holy Spirit empowers us. I want to look at what it looks like to to have a theology of place, that God has you here in this city for a reason. I want to look at your your gifting and your personality wiring. I want to look at your story. I want to look at your vocation and job and understand a theology of those kind of things. And would we get clarity around those things and what it looks like to move forward? Because you, your wiring is unique. Your story is original. This is how Eugene Peterson puts it. He says, in the life of faith, each person discovers all the elements of a unique and original adventure. We are prevented from following in one another's footsteps, and we are called to an incomparable association with Christ. The Bible makes it clear that every time there is a story of faith, it is completely original. God's creative genius is endless. He never Fatigued or, and unable to maintain the rigors of creativity resorts to mass-producing copies. You are an original. You're not a copy. Stop living like one. Stop looking at all the people around you and comparing yourself. Say, no, 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 God made me who I am because he has a calling on my life. That's every single person in this room. And I want you to get clarity around that. I want you to, to, to see what that is and then to take some steps of progress. So I want to invite you to come for our series, to come for the eight weeks of Wired. We're going to be doing booklets. We're going to be doing Wired groups, all that stuff. Come and participate and then make progress in your purpose. Uh, the author of Hebrews continues on in verse 12 and 13, says, Therefore... Lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees. Make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather healed. So we have a race mark before us. Now make decisions so that you can, you can run that race effectively. So you can live with significance. If you're going to live a life of meaning and influence, you need to become the kind of person who lives with purpose, discipline, and strength. And how do we do that? You guys, we do that by developing identity-shaping 
Jesus-honoring, life-altering habits. This is who we are. Like, we start the year, and we have all these goals, right? We sit down, and here's my goal. And I, I, I think it's wonderful. I think it's really good. But you do not rise to the level of your goals. You fall to the level of your systems and your habits that you've created and you've developed. As Aristotle put it, we are what we repeatedly do. Excellence, then, is not an act but a habit. Two secular authors building on a biblical idea because when you read the New Testament over and over and over, here's the formula. This is what Jesus has done. Therefore, in light of what Jesus has done, this is who you should be. We need to be people whose lives are marked by by moving forward in our calling. And I I just want to be clear, like this is not self-help. This is not you saving you or you being your best you. This is you allowing Jesus, Jesus to work in your life. This is you allowing the Holy Spirit to empower you. This is about living lives for God's glory, your joy, and others' good. So would we build our lives in the rhythm of the footsteps of Jesus? Would we actually live our purpose? Not just with some you know, um, unattainable theoretical goal, but would we build these habits that glorify the Father? Would we build these habits that are walking in the footsteps of Jesus, empowered by the Holy Spirit? And how do we do that? Well, it's by what uh, you know, secular authors would call keystone habits. A keystone habit is a habit um, that is a simple, repeatable habit over and over that you can see progress in, and then other habits build on it, okay? And so, so I want to talk about this concept, and then I want to look, look at how this applies to our faith, okay? So uh, last year, I developed a keystone habit that, that really just sh- shaped kind of who I was. So um, a year ago in January, we were doing a thing called House Churches, where Thursdays, uh, Nolan or I would preach and we would record it. And then on Sunday, there's 14 different house churches that would gather in this building at different times. And we would, the one thing we would play was the sermon video and then everything else was live, okay? And uh, because Nolan and I couldn't preach 14 times in a day, it just wasn't possible. We're weak, okay? Um, and uncommitted. And so, uh, we, but one of the challenges with that is the worst part of it was I would sit through church and watch myself for 30 minutes, it is brutal. It is rough. The whole time you're like, what, like, what's that mannerism? Like, stop doing that with your hand. Like, why do you cross your leg like that? Like, stop standing on the edge of the, like, all, all, the whole time, all the things you're thinking of me, I was thinking of myself, right? Okay. So, and, and uh, I remember in January, I was sitting there, and, uh, you know, I had preached that week, and, and I'm looking up, and I'm, and I'm watching this preacher, and I'm like, man, that guy got fat this year. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, that is harsh. That is harsh. It was me, right? And I literally, I'm, I have this like, I have this, like tight gray sweater on and, that, that I'm wearing, and I look over at my wife. I'm like, I can't wear that sweater. She's like, no, you cannot. You cannot wear that sweater. So I put it, you, you have this section in your closet, that, like this special section for the future when you get unfat. You're like, I still like that shirt. I can't wear it anyway, but one day maybe, hypothetically, right? And so, but here's the thing, okay? I know this sounds really shallow, Like, why am I talking about this on a Sunday? Because here's why. Because here's two things that I know that are in my calling. One, I'm a father. And I want to be a father who plays with his kids. I want to be a father when my kids are teenagers, I can run around with them. And so how I take care of my body now is spiritual work. It matters. And here's the second thing that I know about my calling. Is I have this dream and this prayer to help lead in a significant way in this church for 40 years. 
this year, this March marks our eight-year anniversary. That means 20% of the way there, which in one sense is like, that's kind of awesome. And in another sense, I'm like, we are just getting started. Like, I, I love that. But in, if I'm gonna, if I'm, leading for the long haul, how I take care of myself spiritually and physically, emotionally, relationally, it matters, am I right? So, so I said, what is a keystone habit that I can build upon? So I went on Amazon and I got this high-tech Bluetooth scale. And it connects with your phone and gives you all these data points. And here is my habit. Every morning, first thing when I wake up, I step on the scale. That was it. That, that was the only habit I committed to. And I would just do it every day. And here's the thing. The first time you step on that scale, you're like, I, bro, is this calibrated right? Like what? Like what? Like what's, no, you lie, you're a liar. Your, your judgment is wrong. And you just like walk away. But, but after a while, that truth starts to sink in a little bit. And, and you start to get a little bit motivated. Now, again, like just doing this based off of weight isn't a healthy thing. That's why there's all these other metrics that were helpful for me. But what I looked at was like, what can I build now? And so by just by having that habit, I started eating differently because, I, because it mattered. And then I started to make some progress. And then I'm like, this feels good. Like, I actually feel better in the way I'm eating. And I, and I, I feel motivated by this one habit. And so I started, um, I called it running, but I was walking, you know, right? I was running at a sl- in slow motion, okay? And, but even that, like, I start to, you know, like, I, I start to feel better physically. And I see more and more progress towards my goals, and then because of that, I'm motivated, and I start going to the gym, and I start lifting, and I'm enjoying it. Now, all of this is, there's one habit. It's, it's the keystone habit of stepping on the scale every day. And for me, that was a building block for these other habits, okay? You, you, understand, you see that concept? I want you this year to build one keystone habit. Figure out what it is. What is it in your life, and what can you trace it back to, to a simple measurable habit that you can do over and over. Let me give you some suggestions over the next 30 days. Pick one of these. One, read just one chapter of the Bible. That's it. Not entire books. Just, just commit to one chapter. And what's going to happen is you're going to start reading it, and you're going to discover Jesus, and you're going to feel drawn into him. And you're going to have questions. And you're going to start watching videos from the Bible Project. And you're going to want to read commentaries with these questions. And like, oh, he refers to this psalm. And you want to go back and you want to read that psalm. And and that one keystone habit is going to propel you forward in your relationship with Jesus in an incredible way. You're going to have conversations over coffee about it. Just every day, read one chapter of Scripture. and Draw in to Jesus. Here's another one. Get your heart rate elevated every day. Like, like, you're not saying, hey, I'm going to go to the gym for an hour every day. No, I'm going to elevate my heart rate. And so maybe you're taking the stairs. Maybe, maybe you're doing push-ups or jumping jacks. You know, maybe you're going back to the 90s and pretending you're in PE and watching a video of other people doing exercises because I don't know why they did that too. But get your heart rate elevated, okay? Keystone, you see these idea of keystone habit, how it can, how it can be built? Tell your, let's say your marriage is struggling. Here's a keystone habit for that. Tell your spouse one thing you appreciate about them every day. Just one thing. Set an alarm and send them a text message. Write write a note. Say it to their face. But every day for 30 days. And watch how that transforms your marriage. Because you're so, the reason you're so discontent in your marriage is because you're focused on all the areas they fall short. And for 30 days, if you would focus on the ways that God made them, 
and some of the beautiful things about what it looks like. And then all of a sudden, they would appreciate you more. And, and your mer- it, it will be a keystone habit that all kinds of things will build on. And who knows, even the previous habit, getting your heart rate elevated, may stem from complimenting your spouse. I don't know. See where that goes. Think about that later, okay? Uh, write down one sentence prayer. In a, some of you guys are going to get that later. And be like, ah, that was, it was biblical, all right? Uh, write down a one-sentence prayer in your journal every day for 30 days because now you're, you're going to start to see the hand of God move and progress and move you forward. These are, this is spiritual, sacred work that we would move forward and advance and progress in our calling. And, and, and if this is something intriguing to you, I, just, I have two books I want to encourage you. Uh, pick one of them and read. One is uh, Atomic Habits by James Clear. I think it's a brilliant book. I read it about two and a half years ago. And, and I, think it's, I think it's really helpful. Uh, there's another one, Do It For A Day, which is by a, he's a pastor named Mark Batterson. He's a pastor in Washington, D.C. I just started reading that this year. And, uh, and I love it. I, I think it's really good. And because it brings in scripture to these habits that we're building and helps us to wrap our minds and see how this is a discipleship. What this process looks like, and so again, author of Hebrews is walking us through. Here, here's here's the third and last, and this is the most important. Take a step closer to Jesus this year. Just just one step. We we try to define discipleship as there's this line, and on one side I'm not a believer, and on the other side I am a believer, and once we cross the line, we're good. Discipleship is an entire life of either moving closer to Jesus or, or drifting further away. Would this year be one where you move closer to Jesus? The author tells us to fix our eyes on Jesus. That means that he is both the example of what it looks like to run the race, and he is the goal of the race itself. It means to look forward forward to him as our motivation and our reason, and that everything else we would look away from and fixate only on Jesus, wanting that closeness and that connection. As Tozer writes in the pursuit of God, he says, we are instructed to run life's race with our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. From all this, we learn that faith is not a once-done act, but a continuous gaze of the heart at the triune God. Believing then is directing the heart's attention to Jesus. It is lifting the mind to behold the Lamb of God and never ceasing that beholding for the rest of our lives. We just got done doing a series called In This Season where we looked at these seasons we've gone through of grief, sorrow, of pain, of hardship, of conflict. But here's my thing, what if the whole point of that season was that you would be drawn closer to Jesus? See, the goal of life, the foundation of all life is not accomplishment, it's relationship. That's the foundation of life. And the most important thing you do this year is not accomplishing some goal. It's growing a relationship. If you would draw closer to Jesus and who he is, it would have a massive impact because he is the author. He is the perfecter of our faith. These two words, I just want to look at them real quick. The first word is archagon. That's the word pioneer, meaning he's the originator and he's a founder of the movement, but also continues as the leader. So Jesus 
Jesus wrote what our faith is, and he continues to lead it. But he's also the teleotin, which means the one who brings the process to a finish. And this is what I need you to see. In all of this, we are not throwing off weight or sin so that we can earn God's love. We are not trying to build good, healthy habits and live with purpose so we can earn God's love. God's love has been pioneered and perfected in Jesus. He bought you. He set you free. And because he's done that, you can then throw off the weight. You can then be rid of the sin. You can then live your purpose and your calling and take a step after step because Jesus, he went first and Jesus finished the race. So move closer to Jesus. Like if, you, if you are a follower of Jesus and you haven't get, gotten baptized, that's, that's your step this year. March, or in, in March, we're having our eight-year anniversary, our grand opening. It's going to be a party. We're going to have baptisms that day. Man, would you publicly declare to your friends, your neighbors, your church, your family, I am a follower of Jesus. Nolan, at the end of the service today, is going to talk about Rise Academy. It's this beautiful study in, the, in, in who God is, looking at deeper theology. Man, would that move you towards Jesus? As we go through our Wired series, I want everybody in this church to be in a Wired group, to, to, to walk through your calling and purpose and look at it and look at it in community. Maybe it's starting to serve. Man, that, like, go serve and rise kids. Nothing will grow you more than trying to explain, answer theological questions of an eight-year-old because they will rock your world and your mind. And you're like, I don't, I don't know if I can answer that in a way that's satisfactory to your goldfish-covered hands. <laughs> and you're going to be like, I, Jesus, help me. And he will. And it'll be beautiful. Maybe read the Gospels for the first time. Get to know Jesus. All of this is moving closer. See, if you want to live a life of significance this year, how do you do it? You, you do it by fixing your eyes on Jesus. You want to love deeply and passionately this year? How do you do it? You fix your eyes on Jesus. You want to make progress and get better? Fix your eyes on Jesus. You want to feel valued and secure? Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. You guys do me a favor. Would you close your eyes? And, and I just want you to envision yourself six months from now. Summer of 2022. And Lord, as we do this, I just ask the Holy Spirit, you would just give us a prophetic vision of what you're calling us to. Would you give us clarity? And I want you to imagine how your life would be different if you did these three things. How would your life be different if you finally threw off the weight? If you finally dealt with that secret sin? If you finally addressed that addiction? You finally released that bitterness, that thing that is holding you back. And how would you feel? How would that affect your relationships? And, and then picture getting clarity around your calling. Being able to live. Every morning you wake up, you have a deeper sense of purpose. Like you know why you're putting your boots on. You know what would give you meaning and significance today? You know the conversations you hope to have. And you're making progress. You're actually living out. Not every day is perfect. But you've just spent six months clarifying and progressing and living with purpose. 
man, how would that feel? What would that do to your relationships? And now imagine over the last six months, you've grown closer to Jesus. You know him deeply in his word. You pray to him when you feel scared or overwhelmed or afraid, and and you feel him close. You know that he's listening. You love him more than anything else. What would your life be like if your eyes were fixed on Jesus? Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus, you are on your throne. And we want lives that are bringing you glory. So set us free from the things that are holding us back. Help us to walk in our calling of a life for your glory. And draw our eyes upward to you, that they would be fixed on you. I pray all this in your name. Amen. So we're going to start this year off right. If there's some things that are burdensome to you or things you feel called to in this moment, I just want to encourage you, go to the back of the room at the response room. We'd love to pray with you and for you. Invite somebody else into that. Maybe as a follower of Jesus, uh, what I want to encourage you to do is to take communion. It's in the back of the room. And remember Jesus' body being broken so that you could be made whole. His blood poured out so that you could be washed white as snow. More than anything, we are created for the praise of God's glory. And so let's sing our hearts out to a king who's worthy. Would you stand with me?